Well, thank you for joining me on the Well-Read Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Stanley, and we're going to launch ourselves back into regular episodes with a discussion on the presumption of atheism. But first, I want to thank you for subscribing to the podcast, for liking our Facebook page, following us on YouTube and Twitter, and looking up our website, wellreadchristian.com. If you've done all of those things and you want to truly help Well-Read Christian flourish, you will even leave a review on iTunes and Facebook for maximum positive impact. Well, it's been a cold semester for Well-Read Christian, but thank you for sticking by us, and I look forward to creating more content for you guys in the hot summer months. And now let's jump right in. So the presumption of atheism has seeped into the culture in a way that is rather fascinating. Rather than the classical definition of atheism, which is the belief that God does not exist, some contemporary atheists have opted to redefine the term to a weaker definition, which is better termed a non-theist. As Anthony Flew, a former atheist who converted to deism at the end of his life, explains, quote, The word atheist has in the present context to be construed in an unusual way. Nowadays, it is normally taken to mean someone who explicitly denies the existence of God. But here it has to be construed not positively, but negatively, with the original Greek prefix a being read in the same way in atheist as it customarily is in words as amoral. In this interpretation, an atheist becomes not someone who positively asserts the non-existence of God, but someone who is simply not a theist, end quote. Do you see the difference? Rather than maintaining that God does not exist, which is a claim which requires evidence, atheists instead prefer to position themselves as neutral agents who are rejecting the claim that God exists. This idea can actually be seen in the culture expressed by popular British comedian Ricky Gervais. As no one does. So you're not convicted of your atheism? Well, I am. Sure. No, I am, because atheism is only rejecting the claim that there is a God. Atheism isn't a belief system. Mm -hmm. Atheism, so this, this is atheism in a nutshell. You say... Um, uh, there's a God. I say, can you prove that? You say no. I say, I don't believe you then. Here, Gervais summarizes the view of many atheist apologists today, and on their view, this distinction serves to demonstrate that only the theist holds the sole burden of proof to demonstrate their claims. Since the atheist is not actually claiming anything, they don't have to defend their view. Instead, they get to sit back and poke holes in theistic belief, and if you don't meet their standard of evidence, they get to say, sorry, not good enough, I'm still an unbeliever, and that's the end of the conversation. Or is it? Is it legitimate to say that atheism, defined as non-theism, a rejection of belief in God, is actually a position which does not make a claim to knowledge, and therefore doesn't require the burden of rational defense? And should atheism be assumed until proven false? Okay, first, let's start with some clear definitions and get all the pieces on the table before we assemble them. But while we're doing that, I want to make clear that these terms are tools of language and therefore do not constitute an argument itself. I see conversation online a lot where people think that they can dismiss one view or another because unless you can prove with 100% certainty that God doesn't exist, then they're actually an atheistic agnostic. Or, unless a theist can prove with 100% certainty that God does exist, then they're actually a theistic agnostic. And then they invent all these terms of strong and weak atheism, or strong and weak theism, and they draw up all these categories and distinctions, and what they're trying to do is come up with a silver bullet to get either side to admit that they could be wrong, and if they could be wrong, then they can't sincerely hold their own view. Here's an example of that from the Christian camp. And then we're going to give you 10 minutes to prove to us that there is a God. I said, bro, I don't need 10. I only need two minutes. He said, come on down. 
So I went down, I won't tell you which university it was, but I, I drove to, to Cambridge, and when I got to Cambridge, I, I go into this lecture hall, right? And there's, I don't know, a thousand, eight hundred, a thousand. So he came and joined me at the podium at the front there, and, and I said, you believe there is no God? He said, there is no God. You cannot be a rational person and believe there is a God. I said, okay, help me out with this. I want to show you something. And I drew a circle on a whiteboard like this. I said, this circle represents knowledge. Everything that could ever be known about any subject fits in there. All the sciences, all the arts. You're an intelligent man. You studied this university. How much do you know of everything that could possibly be known? So he took a pen and he drew that and he went, I reckon I know this much. I said, wow, you're intelligent. He said, yeah, I am. I said, that's brilliant. I said, so that's what you do know? He said, yes. I said, and that's what you don't know? He said, yes. But this does exist. You just haven't discovered it yet. Yes. Therefore, could God not exist in a dimension that you haven't yet discovered? Answer? Yes. Therefore, sir, I would suggest you're not an atheist. You're an agnostic and one step closer to knowing my Jesus. We did it, boys. Atheism is no more. <laughs> While I do believe that Mr. Barrett is sincere, and he is, you know, he's funny and he's entertaining when he's telling the story, but come on, that this is not serious thinking. You, you can't just frame someone's opinion on a whiteboard, relabel their position, and declare yourself the victor. Even though Mr. Barrett has good intentions, this is wrong. It's not intellectually honest, it's not being charitable to the other side, and the intellectual encouragement it's supposed to offer to Christians is false. Plain and simple, this is a bad argument, wrapped up in fancy rhetoric. And whether you're a Christian or an atheist, let me just say that this kind of strategy is foolhardy. Christians do it, atheists do it, and everyone needs to stop. It's time to stop. We're talking about language, and while these terms are important and useful, you can't categorize and dismiss a view based on the terms that they use. So please, just ignore any blog or video that tries to manipulate language into an argument. It's just a waste of time. And as we'll discover, you also can't offer a word salad to get yourself to the idea that your position doesn't need to be defended, or even ought to be assumed from the get-go. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's put the terms on the table and see what we can do. A theist is someone who believes in God. That is, a theist is someone who believes the proposition, quote, God exists, end quote, expresses a true statement. Traditionally, an atheist is someone who believes the opposite. An atheist is someone who believes the statement, quote, God exists, end quote, expresses a false proposition. And in the middle ground are agnostics. And here, there are two distinctions that are important. A strong or hard agnostic is someone who holds that it is impossible to know whether or not God exists. Bart Ehrman is a modern example of a hard agnostic. And then there's a weak agnosticism, which is a personal confession of ignorance. A weak agnostic says, maybe there's a God and maybe there isn't. And I personally just haven't come to a conclusion yet. I do not know the answer to that question. So now let's talk about the burden of proof. Which of these positions bears the responsibility of defining reasons to hold their view? Which of these views requires a sound argument to be warranted? Now the rule of the burden of proof is simple. If you make a claim, you have to defend it. 
So let's take any proposition, proposition P. You can believe P or not P. And either way, you've now found yourself in a debate. Now, this comes back to the discussion between Ricky Gervais on the Stephen Colbert uh, late night show. Remember that Mr. Gervais says that atheism is just saying, I don't believe you to a Christian. But do you see how this doesn't actually dodge a burden of proof? If I was talking with Ricky Gervais, the conversation could just as easily be Ricky saying to me, there is no God, and me saying, well, can you prove that? And he says, no. So I say, then I don't believe you. We don't actually get anywhere. Do you see how this is a nonsensical way to proceed? You don't get to dodge the burden of proof by pretending that you're not making a knowledge claim. Atheists claim to know that there is no God, including Ricky Gervais, and theists claim to know that there is a God. Both sides have to have good reasons for their position. If you're a hard agnostic, where you believe that it is unknowable, that you cannot know whether God exists or not, then you have to argue for that position. Because then, there has to be reasons why it is impossible to know whether a God exists or not. The only position that has no burden of proof is a personal confession of agnosticism, where you're saying, I don't know if there's a God, personally. There, you're not saying that no one knows, you're just saying that I don't know. This is actually a statement about your psychological state. You're not making a statement about reality, you're making a statement about yourself. And that's why there's no burden of proof associated. Because if you're saying that you personally don't know if there's a God, you're just making a statement about your beliefs. You're not saying, I know what reality is like. You're just stating that you don't know what reality is like, that your internal psychology is unsure about a topic. And obviously, you're the only authority on what you actually believe. So where is this all coming from? Why all of a sudden have atheists, academic and pedestrian, opted to sometimes redefine atheism to mean non-theism. After all, this is a much weaker position. If atheism is just a lack of belief in God, then that term encompasses all agnostics, all atheists, every newborn infant, Buddhists, dogs. There are all kinds of things that count as non-theists. Suddenly, it's not a very specific or useful term. But the reason they are doing this is to try to avoid the burden of proof. And before I say why this isn't fair, I want you to understand the atheistic perspective. From the atheistic perspective, debating God is trying to affirm an absolute negative. And it can be very difficult to prove that something does not exist. Europeans thought it had been proved that there are no non-white swans. They believed that all swans were white. But then the colonization of Australia led to the discovery of black swans. So what they thought was a successfully proven universal negative, there are no black swans, turns out that they were completely wrong. But even though it is difficult, you can prove universal negatives. I can prove, for example, that there are no cats that live in my apartment, or no bachelor is married. And there have been attempts throughout the history of philosophy to prove atheism by proving that the idea of God is incoherent or incompatible with the world that we observe. Common examples include the omnipotence paradoxes, such as, can God create a podcast so boring that even he stops paying attention? The problem of evil is another argument for atheism. But these arguments haven't seen real progress in centuries, and most arguments for atheism are widely rejected by contemporary philosophers regardless of their convictions. So the atheist project can be a very frustrating project at this point. What the atheist is trying to say is, 
based on a sober and informed search, God doesn't exist. But of course, there could be more evidence to uncover, and of course, they can't be certain. This doesn't trouble them too much, because future evidence could also be in favor of atheism, and they're optimistic about that idea. But still, in order to prove atheism, you have to prove there is no God. And this is a very challenging thing. It's understandable why atheists want to set up the rules of the game to put the burden of proof on the theist. You have to understand that from their perspective, debating God is like debating Bigfoot. Now, if you believe in Bigfoot, pick something else for the following example, maybe forest fairies or something. I'm going to use Bigfoot. How do you prove that Bigfoot doesn't exist? Are you going to set up HD cameras over every square inch of every forest in the world? What if it's a mountain-loving Bigfoot or a cave-dwelling Bigfoot? Is the Bigfoot denier supposed to comb through every hair strand in the world and do a DNA test and say, yep, not Bigfoot? Or is the Bigfoot denier logically in his rights to assume that Bigfoot doesn't exist until someone proves it to him? Is he justified in being skeptical even if he hasn't personally done the hard research even? But notice a few things about Bigfoot deniers. First, if you're a Bigfoot denier, you have to have an alternate explanation for the facts. Then you have to defend your alternate explanation. You don't just get to say, nuh-uh. You actually have to say, well, if these videos are your evidence, then they are low quality. These two guys who say they saw Bigfoot probably made it up. Expert so-and-so says this image here is likely a bear. These guys over here later admitted to faking this piece of evidence, and so these guys probably faked it too, and on and on. And this is important because if you don't have an alternate explanation of the facts, as well as arguments for your explanation, then you haven't proven that Bigfoot doesn't exist. If you simply poke holes in Bigfoot stories, all you've proven is that the available evidence is hogwash. But even if all the available evidence for Bigfoot has been faked, Bigfoot could still exist where no one has found him. In the same way, even if every argument for the existence of God was proven false, God could still exist undetected by reason. So if you want to prove that God doesn't exist, you have to have an argument beyond just knocking down the traditional theistic proofs. You need something more. You need another premise. This is why atheists want to assume that God doesn't exist unless there is conclusive evidence for his existence, and they claim that this is rational in the same way that it is rational to assume that Bigfoot doesn't exist unless there's conclusive evidence that he does exist. So then the question becomes this. This is big. Is the absence of evidence evidence of absence? To use Thomas Morris's example, let's say I'm sitting in my office and it suddenly occurs to me that there might be a 30-foot boa constrictor in my small, well-kept office. After performing a careful search, however, there is no evidence of such a creature. In this case, it is reasonable to say that in the absence of any evidence, there is not a boa constrictor in my office. But if it were to suddenly occur to me that there might be a flea in my office, a careful search is not going to yield confidence there is not indeed a flea in my office. In this case, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. What we learn from this thought experiment is that your epistemic position is really important for analyzing these situations. If you want to prove that something doesn't exist, that is, if you want to prove a universal negative, you need to demonstrate that one, there are no good reasons to believe that it exists, and two, if it did exist, we would be in a position to know. That second premise is huge, and this is the implicit assumption that atheists make when they posit the presumption of atheism. 
What they're really saying is, well, it's obvious that God doesn't exist, because if he did exist, there would be more evidence, and therefore you need to overcome that obviousness if you're going to make your case. But not only is that begging the question by assuming your conclusion, it's also assuming that if God existed, his existence would be more obvious than it already is. That is why the presumption of atheism, is, in philosophical circles anyway, quickly turns into the problem of the hiddenness of God. Because atheists implicitly assume that if God existed, there would be more evidence. But that is a claim itself which must be defended. That is why, by the way, it is perfectly rational to dismiss claims about Bigfoot. Now, if you're a Bigfoot believer, then you're free to make your case. But if you're a Bigfoot denier, you are committed to premise one, there are no good reasons to think that Bigfoot exists, meaning all so-called evidence can be explained in other means, and two, if Bigfoot did exist, we would be in a position to know. We would be able to find evidence. But if an atheist wants to presume atheism when examining worldviews, he must first demonstrate why all arguments against atheism are flawed, and then he has two choices. He can either come up with an argument for atheism, which so far has never succeeded, or else demonstrate that if God did exist, we ought to find more evidence than there already is. Since we are in a position to know, and we do not find sufficient evidence, we therefore ought to assume atheism until proven otherwise. But that claim is nowhere near obvious, and thus the atheist ends up arguing that if God existed, there would be more evidence. The atheist ends up having the considerable burden of proving that if God existed, he would be more obvious. And that's going to be just as hard as proving that if God existed, there would be no evil in the world. And the hard part is, is that God isn't even a furry primate in the woods. God isn't even a flea. He's not detectable with empirical data. You're using the wrong instrument to detect God if you're trying to use the scientific method. But the atheist is going to bring up an important objection here. What the atheist is going to say is that theism is ad hoc or contrived in the same way that arguments for Bigfoot are contrived. Because if you say there's no evidence for Bigfoot, Bigfoot enthusiasts respond, well, that's because he's super smart and covers his tracks. And if you say, but even if he covered his tracks, wouldn't there still be feces and leftover animal carcasses? And, and they say, no, because Bigfoot cleans up after himself. And he always drags off his kills into a secret lair before eating them. And then you might respond, well, okay, then we should be able to find his lair, right? Plus, it would take a lot of time for him to hunt and kill the animal and drag it off to that lair and eat it, all while covering all of his tracks and making sure no one can spot any evidence of him. And, and the longer he takes to do all of this, the more likely it is that someone spots him and no one has ever spotted him except for these highly questionable sources. And, and then, of course, they're going to interrupt you and say, no, Bigfoot can sense the chemical compounds in your skin. And so they always get away before anyone can ever spot them. See, arguing with a Bigfoot enthusiast is exhausting because the theory will be continually modified to avoid the objections and fit the data. It isn't actually the most plausible explanation that Bigfoot exists, but instead of giving up their theory, they come up with crazy and unfalsifiable claims, and their explanations continue to get more and more bizarre and strange and unlikely the longer the debate goes on. This is how an atheist feels when they debate theists. No matter what they are trying to say to prove that God doesn't exist, there's always some strange explanation that Christians can tell themselves to hold on to their belief. And so the atheist is stuck. While Anthony Flew was an atheist, he used an anecdote that goes like this. 
two explorers come across what appears to be a well-manicured patch of flowers in an untamed and wild forest. The first explorer says, Aha! Look at how well this flower patch is growing. It must be a garden. But as the explorers searched day and night for their forest-dwelling gardener, there wasn't one to be found. But instead of giving up his theory, the first explorer said to the second, Well, maybe it's an invisible, intangible, and completely undetectable gardener who secretly gardens by natural means of the jungle's ecosystem. To this, the second explorer replies, Well, what's the difference between this intangible, undetectable gardener and no gardener at all? Of course, the patch of flowers is a symbol for the world, and the gardener is a symbol for God. Now, obviously, the first explorer is in the wrong, because even though the evidence was pointing toward there being no gardener, he continually modified his claim until it was unfalsifiable. Once it is unfalsifiable, and ad hoc, we can be sure that it is false. Let's take the ad hoc charge first. Ad hoc is a logical fallacy, which we've been throwing around a lot so far, and it means that it's an argument contrived to fit the data. There isn't any evidence for it, but it's also unfalsifiable. If you were a parent and you came home to find a window shattered and a baseball bat on the ground and a baseball on the television, your child might commit an ad hoc fallacy if he argues that an alien broke the window and made the baseball lodge itself in the television set, and then he left the bat just to make him look guilty. It's an argument that can't be proven or disproven, and it clearly seems far-fetched. But the problem with Anthony Flew's Gardner analogy and the objection that theism is ad hoc is that it simply fails to take the case for Christian theism seriously. Now, maybe God doesn't exist and Christianity is false, but you cannot say that there isn't a compelling case to be made. Theists have a wide variety of arguments which explain features of the universe coherently and powerfully, where naturalistic explanations completely fail at the same task. Articulating why there is something instead of nothing, reasoning from first causes, explaining the fine-tuning of the universe, examining the moral fabric of reality, understanding consciousness or beauty, all become powerful arguments for God's existence. Christians pull from several different disciplines to formulate several arguments which are not only more plausible than their denial, but the naturalistic alternatives seem patently absurd and outlandish. A universe from nothing, which organizes it into what we see by chance, which somehow allows for conscious experience, accurate rational thought, and the recognition and appreciation of beauty and happiness. If anything, it is atheism which is ad hoc and inexplicable. But I still haven't answered the falsification objection. Is it true that theism, as an explanation for the world, cannot be falsified or verified, and therefore isn't a fair way to argue? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that each individual argument for theism or Christianity is absolutely falsifiable. If you could demonstrate that the universe did not have a beginning, the cosmological argument is false. If you could demonstrate that the universe appears to be fine-tuned, but in fact is the way it is by physical necessity or chance, the teleological argument is false. If you could demonstrate that consciousness is an illusion and the moral fabric of our universe is most likely a lie, then the moral and self-awareness argument would be false. If you could prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead, Christianity would be proven false. In principle, arguments for Christian theism are falsifiable, and therefore Christianity is falsifiable. As to whether it's empirically verifiable, this turns out to be not really a fair criterion for truth. Just because something is not empirically verifiable doesn't make it false. 
The logical positivists in the 20th century championed the notion that all claims are meaningless unless they can be empirically verified, or are true by definition, such as math or something. But that criterion for truth, that claim itself, cannot be empirically verified, nor is it true by definition. Verificationism went through some revisions, such as falsificationism, but ultimately this line of thinking was completely abandoned, because you cannot falsify the claim that all claims are meaningless unless they can be falsified. Besides, even if you were dedicated to this notion that Christianity cannot be falsified and therefore is an invalid theory, then you'd have to accept that atheism cannot be falsified and is therefore an invalid theory. The truth is, is that this whole line of thinking is just, it's just not going anywhere. So to summarize and conclude, atheism is not a fair starting place because it is a knowledge claim. It is a claim to know that there is no God. Knowledge claims require arguments, but since atheists don't have any good arguments for why God couldn't exist, or at least doesn't exist, they sometimes make the move to say that in the absence of evidence for God, we should assume that this is good evidence that he is absent. But this isn't fair at all. If we don't have evidence for God's existence, at best we should be agnostic, unless we have good reason to think that God doesn't exist. This is because the absence of evidence does not always indicate evidence of absence. The scholarly discussion, therefore, has deteriorated away from the presumption of atheism and more pointedly sits at the hiddenness of God. If God exists, atheists now argue, why is he only reachable at best through our rational faculties? Why isn't there more evidence for his existence? And while the hiddenness of God is certainly a good topic for another time, it suffices to say that there is a whole lot of evidence available to those who are interested in looking for it. It also seems to me, since the overwhelming majority of the world's population throughout time have always seen some kind of deity behind it all, that perhaps God really isn't hidden to the vast majority of people. Every unreached tribe and every ancient civilization is beating some drum and offering some sacrifice to some god. They know something is going on which is inexplicable by natural causes. The arguments for God are different than arguments for Bigfoot, because in the case of Bigfoot, the absence of evidence does count as evidence of absence. Therefore, atheism is not the only legitimate starting point for all religio-philosophical inquiry. A soft agnosticism, which is a personal confession of ignorance, is the only position which does not make a claim and therefore does not bear a burden of proof. But because atheism has proven impossible to prove, and there are many good arguments for theism, we should not only not presume that atheism is true when investigating the evidence, but we should go into the discussion with an open mind, recognizing that we have to have good reasons to be confident in our conclusions, regardless of what they are. Thank you for listening to the Well-Read Christian Podcast. I will see you all in two weeks.